0: Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: Remember. Because again, God is going to tell them, remember me who I am and remember the things that I've done for you. Remember. We need to remember. I need to remember. I need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. Sometimes it's good to to consider what God has done in your life so far. Maybe you're a journal writer, maybe you're not, but you know, sometimes I think it's really good to sit down and if you haven't done it already, I'd encourage you to do it. It's something that I need to do, but I, I like to, you know, just think about the, the, the good things that God has done in my life and start writing them down because your kids, your grandkids are going to need to know these kinds of things.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ for today. Pastor Rob begins our study today in Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is a reminder of God's grace and love to the nation of Israel. We know that this book is all about remembrance to the nation of Israel, but also to us. It's always a good idea for us to remember what God has done for us in our lives, we must never forget the love of God and His grace He has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Remember, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Here's Pastor Rob with our message for today.
1: Deuteronomy. It just means a second telling because of the things that had happened in, in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. It's just a retelling of those events. And, and 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 remember God is sharing this information. He's retelling them, rehashing this history for this new group of people, this new generation that's about ready to go into the promised land, to the land of Canaan that God had promised them through Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob. And God had made so many wonderful promises throughout the Bible concerning that. And now he's going to bring it to fruition and bring them in. And so as we look, uh, last week we looked at chapter 7 where um, it it really spoke of the blessings of obedience, especially beginning in verse 12. And, And God was going to uh, tell them that he was going to uh, bless them, and the, the blessings that he w- was going to bestow upon them were f- really physical blessings not only for themselves, for their, the ground that they would till for their livestock, but for their the land and for their um, the peace in their in their land and so all of this, God told them that he would bless them He said in verse thirteen i 'll bless you and i 'll multiply you he 'll bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land and your grain your new wine and your oil the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in verse 14 you'll be blessed above all peoples there shall not be a male or female barren among you or your livestock and he'll take away all sickness and you know god would just go on and say if you are obedient to me israel i will do all these things and it's a conditional statement isn't it if you do these things then i will do these things and god was more than faithful to his end of the bargain There were things that God says, this is what I'm going to do regardless of what you do or not. Those are called unconditional promises. A promise that's not contingent upon my obedience. But when God gives a conditional statement, it's always an if-then statement. If you do this, then I will do this. And and it has to be that way because God wants to bless us, but he's not going to bless somebody who is continually disobedient and running away from him and running far from him. He's, he's in the process of recovering you then, going after you, like that shepherd going after that lost sheep. That's what he does. And so he, he's doing that instead of doing the thing that he really wants to do, which is really just to bless and to, and to bless them. And so that's what we looked at in chapter 7. And in chapter 8, if we could sum up this whole entire chapter, it would be in one word, it would be remember. Remember. Because again, God is going to tell them, remember me who I am and remember the things that I've done for you. Remember. We need to remember. I need to remember. I need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. Sometimes it's good to, to consider what God has done in your life so far. Maybe you're a journal writer, maybe you're not, but you know, sometimes I think it's really good to sit down and if you haven't done it already, I'd encourage you to do it. It's something that I need to do, but I, I like to, you know, just think about the, the the good things that God has done in my life and start writing them down because your kids, your grandkids are gonna need to know these kinds of things. How are you, Lord, to me? How are you to dad? How are you to grandpa? And grandma. And you know, if we start taking stock and we start writing these things down, we're gonna have a lot of stuff to share with them when they get a little older and they can understand it. We can share with them, just like God had exhorted through Moses to the children of Israel, remember these things and tell them to your children. Don't be that generation. We we, we don't want to get into a place where we have a generation that grows up and doesn't know God. But folks, we live unfortunately in that time now. But that doesn't mean that we just roll over and play dead. You know, there's such a fatalism sometimes in the body of Christ. We hear stuff like this. You know, we hear the idea that we're living in the Laodicean age. It may be true, and I believe to a certain extent or to a larger extent that that is true. But what does that mean? Does that mean we just kind of throw in the towel and just kind of roll over and play possum until the Lord returns? No, we don't. Individually, that doesn't mean as individuals we have to just roll down and play dead and fall asleep. God wants to wake us up. He wants to use us. He wants to revive us. Forget about all those titles and all those things. Let God do it in you. Don't even be concerned about what age we live in because he can still do a lot in you and me and I don't want to be restrained by some some stigma that's attached to some label that's attached to the, the time that I'm living in. God doesn't want you to live that way. He doesn't. But we live in that way. We live in that age because people would have it that way. Because there are many things that are gathering, get, uh, getting our attention and our focus. Our hearts are getting colder. We're losing interest. We're not reading anymore. Instead, we'll read the news on our phone. We'll read current events. But getting in the Bible, for some reason, is this really difficult chore. And it's true, isn't it? It's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. All that other stuff is easy to do, but to get into the Word of God is not easy to do. But it's something that once you start doing it, it's sort of like it feeds on itself. And before long, you know, it's sort of like eating vegetables. If you eat vegetables enough, you'll develop a a taste for vegetables and you'll like vegetables. But if you're always eating the the snack food and always eating the junk and the sugar and the high salt stuff, you're only going to want to eat that. And then you're not going to want to have the taste of the other stuff. So it really is important that our diet, if it's not already changed, we need to change it, make some changes in our life. What are you reading? What are you doing? What are you spending with your time? Spend it in the Word. Just read. Just read the Bible. Just sit down and force yourself to read a few chapters every single day, in the morning and at night. So we're going to look at uh, Chapter 8. And then in Chapter 9, Lord willing, if we get to Chapter 9, it speaks of uh, Israel's... um, Rebellions that God is going to going to review them with them again And again, is he doing it just to rub their nose in it? You've done this and i'm just going to rub your nose in it until you know He doesn't do that. God never does that We do that Because our love is imperfect When we see somebody make a mistake or somebody that we love or maybe we make a mistake We tend to wallow in our pity for a while but God's saying, brush yourself off and move on. Brush yourself off and go forward. Don't stop. Don't sit there in your, in your pity. Stand up and continue on. Confess it. Be forgiven and move on. Amen? Isn't that, isn't that so freeing? I mean, that's really the grace that he has given us. You know, for, when, you, when you sin and you create uh, trouble for yourself and you ask God to forgive you, do you know that the, the truth of it is that when you confess your sin, we know that in what it says in First John chapter 1, right? He will, he, if, he, if you confess it, he is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So he will do that. But do you know you can walk away from that moment with him and walk as if you hadn't sinned? You can. But we don't, <laughs> do we? I like to wallow in my sin. I like to atone for it a little bit more because I don't really trust that it's really done, so I'll afflict myself. Have you ever done that? We do it all the time. And you know, if you grew up in a system of Christianity where that was the, the way things were done, you've got some unlearning to do because God has given you such a freedom. When you confess your sin, he's forgiven you. And he says... Why are you walking around like you've just committed this sin? Haven't I forgiven you? Isn't it true what I said in the word that as far as the east is from the west so far have I removed your transgressions from you? That means they never meet. East and west never meet. They just keep going. <laughs> they never meet. And I've cast your sins into the sea of forgetfulness, it says in one of the other passages. The sea of forgetfulness, he goes, I choose to remember it no more. He's got a perfect memory. He could remember everything, but once it's under the blood, all of a sudden that little thing, whatever it is, gets erased from the book and you're no longer held liable for that guilt, for that sin, for that guilt. Think of it. You can walk away feeling guiltless after you confess your sin instead of beating yourself over the head and walking around like an eeyore for three days until you start feeling better about yourself because of your performance. Does that sound like works? Yes, it does. And that, see, that's the thing that God wants to wrest from our hands, is to get us away from trying to do things, to feel good about ourselves. Do you believe in his, the, the truth of what he did on the cross? Was it sufficient? Was it efficacious? There's a great word. Or was it not? We honor him when we do that. So let's look at ver- verse uh, 1 from chapter 8. Remember, this chapter is about remember. Remember the Lord your God, because he wants them to remember. He says, Every commandment which I command you today, must be caref- you must be careful to observe. And why? Here it is. That you may live and multiply, and that you will go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. To do what? To humble you and to test you. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And one thing we have to remember when we read uh, about this, you know, to test you and to know what was in your heart, you know, tests aren't there so that God can learn more information. I think we know that. He knows all things. He's omniscient. He knows all things. That's one of the three characteristics that God alone has, more than any other being in the universe. The devil is not omnipresent. The devil is not omnipotent. The devil is not omniscient. (laughs) There's only one being who claims to have those three things. There's no other being in the entire universe. But God alone holds those things. So he's not, when he tests us and allows to to, to to know what was in our heart, it's not so that he can learn information. He already knows the children of Israel's faith. He knows where they're going to blunder, where they're going to make their mistakes. But the proving has to happen so that their actions will prove or disprove their obedience, that they might know, that they might grow. Right? These things happen in my life, not because God's going to be, oh, I didn't know you would, you would, you mean you had it in you to do can't believe it can't ble- I learned something new today God doesn't learn anything He knows it all but we learn about ourselves and I love that to me being a christian is so wonderful because we really learn who we really are and the closer we know who we really are we also understand how great he is and the great gulf that's between us and boy that requires dependence on my end faithfulness on my end that he even gives me it requires me to be humble before him and say god i'm nothing but you're everything i want to serve you and then he fills us with his spirit sends us out to do his work and then he rewards us for doing it how cool is that he not only tells us what to do but he gives us the tools have you ever gone to a job or or you you get employed this happens all the time actually i don't even need to tell you but you go you go on a job site and they tell you this is your job requirement so you get there and you're like, "Well, in order for me to really do this job, I I really need these certain things." No, you don't need any of that stuff. Just um, you can do it this way. It'll take you three times as long, but you don't need that other. Just just do what you're told and do it th- this way. And you're like, "But you know, if we could just spend a three hundred dollars, we could have this tool that could make this thing streamline. And over two weeks, we're going to save that money and what we pay for this." Oh no, just we're, we're, we this is the way we've always done it, right? But God doesn't do that. He says. I want you to go do this. And by the way, I'm going to give you the power to do it. I'm going to give you the tools that you need to do it. That makes sense, doesn't it? it make, it's logical sense. See, God is logical. Everything else is illogical. The whole world is upside down. God has it right. Everybody else is wrong. <laughs> Everybody else is wrong. And I love that about him. Let God be true and every man a liar, right? Isn't that what the scripture says? So, and I love what it says. There's this uh, phrase that I love to to use and the phrase is a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted if my faith cannot be tested it's certainly not going to hold up to the trials of life is it it's not going to hold up to the weight Of what God has designed for my life But that trial, whatever that is My faith is going to be tried And a lot of times I don't know I don't understand where I really am Until I'm put under the fire Until I'm put under the pressure Under the microscope All of a sudden I find out where I really am And who I really am And where I fall short And boy that's a great opportunity then for me isn't it To say God I I don't have anything to offer you As a Christian we can do that And there's no shame in that. God doesn't even, he's not even upset with you when you come to him and say, Lord, I can't do this. I'm not capable of doing this. I don't have it in me to do this. I'm too shy. My personality is such that I just don't have it in me to do this kind of thing. And God says, I could care less about your personality. I can use you no matter what your personality is. And everyone's different. There's no cookie cutter Christians. He uses... The quiet and the meek, he uses the boastful and the loud and the, uh, you know, like Peter, you know. He, he, he'll answer questions that haven't even been asked yet. And other people, you've got to like throw out the bait and you've got to throw out more bait and you've got to throw out more bait and then you're waiting and waiting, waiting. Some people are just like they take the bait and swallow the hook. But notice what it says in, in verse 3. It says, so he humbled you and he allowed you to hunger. And fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And this ought to remind us of that verse in Matthew's gospel where Jesus was tempted. Remember, the it said the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness after his baptism with John, and there he is, out in the Judean desert, and it's a beautiful place. I've seen it, and it's it's a gorgeous place. I don't know what it was like at that time, but if it was anything like it is now, it's a really interesting place. It's barren and kind of rocky and weedy and everything like that, but it's it's really um, beautiful. But notice what Jesus said when he was tempted of the devil. Here he is. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. I bet he was. If you tried to fast for 40 days and 40 nights... You would lose significant body mass. <laughs> Seriously. The first week is the toughest. And then at some point in the second week, there, there may be another hard point, but then your body starts to shut down and it's quiet. There's nothing going on. I haven't fasted that long. I mean, I've, I think I've only done like four or five days and it would just, you know, that was about it. But, but the thing is, is he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you think he was hungry? Do you think he was thirsty? I think he was. And notice what happened. Then the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, or the language can support this idea, since you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered, he said, and he quoted right from this verse that we're looking at tonight. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was totally... Resting upon the faithfulness of God and the word of God. He wasn't even um, tempted uh, with the physical. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word. And you know, sometimes the word of God is going to be the thing that saves your life. You could be hungry, but the word of God can save you. You could be famished, and yet the very word of God can spare your life and save your soul. And then he goes on in verse 4, he says, Your garments did not wear out on you. Nor did your feet swell these 40 years. He says in verse 5, You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. This word chasten is a Hebrew word, which literally means, it, it can mean to chastise, but it also means to instruct or teach. The idea is instruction. Not chastening you, like to beat you up and then leave you and say, Fine, you've, you messed up and he slaps you around and sends you to your room. And then, you know, you've got what you deserve. Go away. <laughs> right? He doesn't do that. But a real father, a real mother who loves is going to, is going to do it to teach. And that's the way Jesus does it. That's the way God does it. Everything in your life that he's allowed in your life, if it, even if it hurts you temporarily, he's doing it for a reason to teach you something. He chastens those whom he loves. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Let me just read it. Um, For the sake of time, he says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Have you ever been rebuked by the Lord? The Lord says, You know what, you're going in the wrong direction. Has he spoken to your heart? Sometimes he has to turn up the heat a little bit, and he allows a circumstance to go wrong. And, and, and sometimes we're not listening, and he's got to ante up the, the pressure. We're not listening. We're not listening. Finally, he's got, what do I got to do here? You know. Then he allows you to get a flat tire. Now you're stopped on the road. Now you can't go anywhere. Sometimes he might even allow a sickness when you're going into a certain direction. And you're headlong and you're headstrong. You're like, I'm going to go do this regardless, Lord. It's my will. And he's like, okay. You find yourself stranded on the road. You're not going anywhere. He has a way of doing it. But who the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If, if, your, God, if your father loves you, he's going to chasten you. If you haven't been chastened as a young child, you have every reason to believe that your parents didn't love you. But God loves you. But I can't say to my daughter, honey, I love you, if I let her do whatever she wants. If there's no rules and I just let her do whatever she wants. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm appeasing her and she's probably saying, you know, daddy, you're the best daddy in the world. Why? Because I let you play with a bag of glass. Why? Because I let you play over the, um, the, the cottonmouth rattler's nest. Why? Because I let you play out in the street with your big wheel when cars are flying by at 70 miles an hour. Boy, I love you. Yeah, dad, you're so cool. No, but no other dad will let, let us do that. That's because every other dad is more sane, right? A father who loves his child is not going to allow them to do such things. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? Jesus said, don't be afraid of him who can just kill the body, but be afraid rather of the one who can not only kill the body, but can cast the soul into hell for eternity right? That's, that's forever. How short our life is. It is but a vapor, it says in the other parts of the word. And it says, for they indeed for a few days chasten us as seems best to them, but he for our prophet. Even our, my, as a dad, my, my chastening of my daughter is imperfect. Because I can get frustrated, I can get angry, and I can, I can say something or, or do something out, maybe out of frustration, but God doesn't do it that way. He may allow some pain in my life, but he's not he's not looking down just wanting to squash me like a bug. I told you so, you should have listened to me. You know, he's not like that. He's a loving God, he's a loving father. He says, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, notice, I love this, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We have to be trained by chastening to learn something. That's why we sometimes go over the same thing over and over again. That's why God is speaking to the children of Israel and reminding them again. Why does he have to remind them? Because guess what? He's been reminding them and reminding them, and he knows what they're going to do. They don't know that they're going to do it. But we're going to see that they get right into the mess after he's already told them.
0: Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcast. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth.